Thanks for listening to the Media People Podcast, lively and insightful chats with the people who power the media industry. I'm your host, Victor Genova. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. Views expressed by participants are personal. Walder Amaya from Episode 4 is back on the podcast. So what's Walder been up to since we last chatted way back in 2015? Quite a bit, actually. He departed Evolve Media to co-found Apex Mobile Media, a leading mobile marketing solution company. But it hasn't stopped there. In just a short period of time, the company has grown to include the Apex Gaming Network and Alpha Connect. Walder takes us through where the idea for Apex came from and what was required of both him and his business partner, Chris Lombardi, to make the company a reality. We also get a first-hand account of what it was like navigating the global pandemic from the perspective of an entrepreneur. And after you're done listening to this podcast, be sure to jump back in time to episode four, which serves as the de facto prequel for today's show. Apex Mobile Media is a mobile advertising solution-based company. We pride ourselves in working within premium gaming publisher partners, bringing gaming technologies to the Canadian market within the mobile space. We also work with geolocation partners, bringing best-in-class solutions to Canada. And as well, we work within the connected TV space, mixing that in with mobile solutions. Uh, My role within the organization, I am CEO and co-founder of the company. Walter, you are the second guest that's come back for repeat episodes. So I'm very excited about what we're going to talk about today because a lot has changed because I think we're going back to like, you were like episode four or five. We're going way back to like 2015 and we did that in person back at your office at Evolve Media. That is correct. It's, it's been, uh, it's been a while and uh, glad to be back. Well, happy to have you on. So let's actually bring it back to Evolve Media because some people listening to this might know you more for Evolve Media than for Apex, just because that was a company that was looking for representation in Canada. And you said, no, 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 no. Don't go to another company. Come with me and I'll lead the charge. And you built that office from the ground up, correct? That is correct. And uh, yeah, you're absolutely correct. Spent about 12 and a half years building the Canadian UK and had a role in uh, establishing Evolve Media in the Australian market as well. So uh, yeah, I spent a number of years, had a great, great run, uh, learned so much. It was such an amazing experience. Uh, I wouldn't trade that for the world. It was just, you know, grew up as a man within that organization. And let me guess, I'm going back to the old, uh, our previous conversation. I think there was something about a printer in there as well. Did you guys ever get a printer for Apex? <laughs> <laughs> you knew that was coming. You know, Victor, that was probably one of the very first purchases that we ever made. It's like, we need a printer. We absolutely need a printer. It's a, uh, you know, those are part of the lessons that you learn as building as a, building a company from the ground up. Uh, you need a printer. Incorporate I, first, printer second, or absolutely. the other way around. <laughs> and, not just, and not just any printer. You need a good printer that, that will handle the workload. Um, so, yeah, we learned that lesson. And uh, if, if I'm not mistaken... We actually still have that very first printer still working. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit about your exit from Evolve Media because the company's yeah. still around. They've still got an office in Canada. And yeah. you just mentioned that you spent 12 and a half years there. So what was going through your mind in the final year of your time at Evolve Media? Because you made the jump from being someone else's employee to being your own boss and own, owning your own company. Like, how did things start to change? And as I mentioned before, at Evolve Media, it's nothing but 
great memories, great people that we met. We had great partners that we worked with. And after 12 years, you know, you start looking at what is the next challenge. Uh, and although working within the media, digital publishing industry, your every day is full of challenges. Um, I think that for us, we started looking at the landscape and we started seeing what is next, what is coming down the pipeline, where are the trends? Um, and we started paying close attention to the data. And at this point in time, it was uh, Comscore Media Metrics that we were very closely paying attention to. Um, and we saw this significant media consumption shift happening from desktop to mobile devices. And then we started digging in deeper into that and we started saying where individuals or where is the Canadian public really spending time within the mobile space. Um, and we looked at that growing trend that was happening within gaming. So when we launched Apex specifically, our focus was to really hone in in that gaming sector or that gaming market. Um, and then from having a number of conversations with senior level clients, we started seeing that gaming was top of mind, mobile was top of mind. But as an industry overall, the maturity was not there. It, it, it was like back in the early days of social media, where everyone's like, I need to be on social media. I need to be on social media. But why? What, what, what goal is that going to, what KPIs are you looking for? What are you trying to get, at, get out of it? So we started formulating and coming up with the idea and the concept of Apex Mobile at that point in time. Um, and it was really just a passion project that we started formulating, putting it together. And after 12 years and learning the business, we had a very honest and heart-to-heart -heart conversation with the CEO and president of Evolve Media down in Los Angeles. And I got to tell you, they were nothing but supportive of us. And it felt so good to have the support of your old bosses and really encouraging us to go ahead, guys, move forward and go do this. We support you. And you guys ever need anything, we're here for you. So are you working on getting this off the ground, I guess you could say, in and around your day job still at Evolve Media? Or do you guys do kind of a hard stop and say, okay, I'm done at Evolve Media. I'm going to take some time for myself and, and work to get the yeah. company going and then launch it. What, what, how did you go about doing it? The relationship that we had with um, the two co-founders of Evolve Media allowed us the opportunity to just be very transparent, come up with to them with this is the idea, this is the concept, this is what we want to do. And look, guys, after 12 years, you know, three continents, opening offices, we've given you guys everything that we possibly humanly could. Like, there's there's nothing more, and we need to pursue this passion. Uh, so I guess there was a period of probably about, I would probably say three to four months, where we were splitting our time 50-50. As we were going ape, getting Apex off the ground, we still had our duties uh, with Evolve. Um, and we were serving double duty, basically getting one company off the ground while transitioning out of the other one. And that was part of our commitment to them, that we were not just going to get up and, you know, see you later, guys. We have a lot of respect for them, and they helped us out a lot. Uh, so we created that transitionary period, and that's how we migrated out of Evolve fully into Apex, but Apex was born. The concept and the idea was born while we were at Evolve and we moved off of it. Who's your uh, partner in crime for Apex? It's Chris Lombardi. So Chris Lombardi is uh, my business partner, co-founder, uh, partner in crime, my my brother. Um, yeah, him and I basically looked, as I mentioned before, we looked at the data, we looked at the marketplace um, and we 
came up with the overall business concept. Um, early on, you know, the concept of mobile, mobile, mobile. Um, him and I basically over dinner one day, we just came up with the concept, came up with the idea, and we started doing our research. Um, that's how we got the company off the ground. What about the personal sell to your families, though? Because here you are running a company and you're going to get out of that and you're going to take a pretty big risk. Not like not to say that you couldn't do it. I don't doubt you whatsoever, but I have to imagine at least that there's some nerves going on at that point. You're thinking, okay, uh, this may work. It may not work, but I imagine you still have to pitch this to your family. So do you sit down with them and say, hey, you know, this is what Chris and I um, are planning on doing. I'm going to leave Evolve Media. We think this is the next big opportunity. It can be beneficial to everyone. Look, and, and I'm going to be a little, get a little bit very, uh, very personal on this and sharing this story. Um, at that point in time in my life, I was coming out of uh, my marriage. Um, I think that, and I know my frame of mind was, look, there's no better time than now. New beginnings. Let's just go for it. Uh, Chris, at that point in time, had just gotten married. Um, his wife was extremely supportive of, of him. Um, and on my end, it was once again, it's like, what do we have to lose? We created really good reputation for ourselves in the Canadian market. It was now or never. And our thinking was, if we fail, so what? We have our health. We have our family. We have, you know, great people around us. And if it fails, so what? We'll figure out what else we do after. Um, so that was the original way of thinking and and you know as 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 bullish as it might sound we didn't really give it a second thought that's that's just how we felt and we just went for it um later on as the company continued to grow and as any entrepreneur can tell you you know financial hardships uh kick in and you know we we came to a point in time about six months into six to seven months into the growth of the company where you know cash flow issues start happening and cash flow issues in the sense of we were growing, we were doing good. But as we know, in the media world, if you're collecting on a 90 day uh, basis, you're doing really good. But you had we had to pay our publisher partners, we had to pay our staff, we had to pay rent. And we believed in this so, so much that it came to a point in time, but we're both Chris and I basically signed our houses over to the bank in order to have a line of credit to keep the business going so that we could keep payroll going. Um, and I, we look back at this now and when we tell this story to people, people look at us like, how could you do that? Like you guys are crazy to put your houses on the line. But I, we believed in this so much. Um, that only lasted for a little bit until, you know, we, we, we figured things out. We were learning as we went along. Um, but we believed in this so, so much and those gambles pay off. And I truly believe that in life, you've got to take those gambles for the things that you got to be willing to risk everything for what you believe in. You spent a very big chunk of your career in a leadership role at Evolve Media. And then when you started Apex, I have to imagine that you kind of went back to your roots and you had to put your sales hat on. Not to suggest that you were never wearing your sales hat at Evolve Media, but you're kind of moving back down and doing a lot of the jobs that you had staff doing for you. Was yeah. that was that difficult for you? Like really pounding the pavement and trying to turn every stone upside down before you guys were at, I guess you could say, your balance sheet could support adding uh, reps to the team? Early on, yes, we did. As we continue growing, once again, um, the company grew at an accelerated pace, something that we had never 
imagine. And I think that part of part of our growing pains, I will say, because that's what it was. They were growing pains. Part of the growing pains that we experienced early early on was the accelerated pace at which we grew. Um, and insertion orders coming in, but the, the money to pay for those insertion orders trailing about three to four months behind. So there was that that gap in between. And since we did not have the financial um, how can I say? We did not have the financial history with with banks. Uh, you know, this is where we had to put personal uh, our personal assets on the line to back up getting those lines of credits, uh, line, that line of credit from the bank. So that's from that sense. In terms of your question, we love doing everything. Um, it actually brought back that that rush that you're building something from early on, and we, you know, early on we talked about the printer when. The, in the evolved days, we didn't even have a printer early on, but we were very fortunate that we were able to bring on board people and individuals that believed in the idea of what Apex could be, uh, that were in, indoctrinated in the belief and saw the vision that we had and were more than willing and able to lay it all on the line um, for what we believed. Um, and some of those people, most of them are actually still with the company, um, enjoying great careers with us um, and still believe in that vision. But early on, we had to pound the ground, uh, although we did have a printer. Uh, it was not a color printer or it's not a color <laughs> printer for that matter. It, but it was a learning process that I would not trade for the world. It was such an amazing learning process. And it gives me such a great amount of respect for every single entrepreneur that's out there and at the end of the day you know it's entrepreneurs that really drive uh our economy and everything that they have to go through because that was something that we never imagined that it would be this crazy of a ride so where did the name apex come from so when we sat down uh we had so many names um and i will have to say as much as i like to take credit for things um this was actually chris's idea and Apex basically came about, or the thinking behind Apex is, um, we're in the mobile space. We want to be at the top of that space. We figured out that within the gaming space um, and what Apex originally, the original, original Apex idea, and I'll, I'll explain that a little bit, how it's it evolved, no pun intended, into more than just mobile gaming. We want to be at the top of that. And what is at the top of the mountain? What do you call the top of the mountain? It's the Apex. And we're we're gonna we're about to embark on this climb, and that's where the name Apex came from. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about the Apex Gaming Network. We you've already touched on it uh, yeah. a little bit, saying that you know gaming was taking off. You were talking to senior level members of the media industry. When did you guys find the confidence to move forward with it? Because I started off in gaming when I was a Blue Ant Media a while back, and I felt that we were really ahead of the curve. Like we were going in and talking to people and they'd be like, oh, we're not really sure about this gaming. Yeah. And then it was kind of like a switch flipped about a year and a half into us talking yeah. about it. Where all of a sudden people were like, we got to have gaming. Where have you been? Yeah. And they were calling us back in rather than us chasing them for meetings. It's, yeah, exactly. Back in, I would probably say, so we launched the company, officially launched the company in October of 2017. At the genesis of the company, we went out and we signed an exclusive representation deal with EA Games and Rovio. And that was how we started the company. Those, that was it, that what we were selling at, the, at that point in time. Um, so at the core of who Apex has been for the last almost five years, 
has been uh, has been gaming, and we went to market really with gaming, and that represented a good portion of our overall uh, top line revenue. Later on, this is in October, in about June of 2018, I was in the south of France in Cannes for the Cannes um, uh, advertising festival, and this is how the universe, the world, just connects things. Um, as I was crossing the street, I ran into the old president of a video website, this is even before YouTube, called Meta Cafe. And as I'm crossing the street in the south of France, uh, he's like, dude, I got to talk to you. It's like, I just became the president of this geolocation-based company out of San Francisco. Um, I hear that you guys are doing some mobile stuff. We got this first-party Canadian data on geolocation. We don't know what to do with it. Let's connect. And next morning we go and have breakfast and we shake hands and we hatch out a deal. And all of a sudden, Apex now had a geolocation-based geolocation uh, offering, very, very robust, that we started bringing to market and this thing was like hotcakes. So although we had the gaming product, geolocation became, I would say, 60% plus of our top line revenue that we were generating in Canada for the first two, two and a half years. While the gaming portion of it was always there, we kept growing it, we kept massaging it, we were running into the same issue that you just mentioned. We were walking in there, gaming, I don't know about this, and there was this misconception in the marketplace that a gamer uh, is this you know, kid, and Chris uses this analogy all the time, a kid sitting in the basement you know, eating Cheetos, crunch, uh, crushing Mountain Dew, which is not the case. So that whole education process needed to happen. What accelerated that process, um, as bad but good for business as it was, it was COVID. When COVID hit, um, this is March of 2019? Um, 2020. 2020. Yep. When COVID hit, it was just, um, it was like a punch to the face for most, most of us, right? Not only yep. on a personal level, but on a business level where Clients had no idea what the heck was going to happen, what's going on, everyone's working remotely, is this going to last a month, two months, whatever. Um, and what we started seeing is, once again, as an organization, we learned very early on, trust the data and it will guide you. And we started looking at the data that we were getting back from EA, from Rovio. By this point in time, we had added on other gaming partners. This is where we had brought on partners uh, such as Frameplay, we have brought on partners like AudioMob. Uh, we brought on, the. we looked at and we scoured the world literally for best in-class technology gaming partner solutions that we could bring into the Canadian market and build a robust gaming offering. And this is just a concept. COVID hit and it accelerated. Accelerated is actually underselling it. It put this thing on steroids where all of a sudden we went full throttle and we started educating the Canadian market and our clients on the power of gaming and the entire suite of solutions that we had available. And it came to the point where clients were now reaching out to us for white papers, for case studies, gaming, 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 gaming. And at that point in time, this is where we decided within Apex Mobile Media, let's create a specific division that only focuses on best in class gaming. And this is where we came up with Apex Gaming Network or AGN. Um, and now our gaming gaming probably accounts for probably 50%, just over 50% of our top line revenue in the Canadian market. So we've seen this tremendous adoption of gaming and the power that gaming brings. But not only that, 
is the education process that has happened where clients also understand now that gaming is not just that kid. Literally 23 million Canadians identify themselves as gamers, especially mobile gamers in one way, shape or another. And what does Comscore say? There's what, 31, 32 million Canadians online? I know there's really 38 in the country, but when you pull 23 out of 28 million, that's a hell of a high number. That's a really good penetration rate. It's it's huge. Just think about it and, and you know, as, as whoever's listening to this, just do a quick survey. How many of you have a game on your phone? How many of you opened that game or play a mobile game on your phone in the last 30 days? And I put my hand up for that. You start extrapolating that. And the mobile device goes with you everywhere. So and you're paying attention to that mobile device. There's no distractions. So 23 million Canadians is what we're getting from uh, eMarketer, actually. Comscore numbers are actually a little bit higher, if I'm not mistaken, in terms of Canadians that identify themselves as gamers. And that encompasses everything from console gamers on your PlayStation, on your Xbox, and mobile gamers. And what we're seeing is a 50-50 split. You know, the average age of a gamer, mobile or, or, or console, the average age of a gamer in Canada is 34 years old. It's, yeah, it's, it's pretty high. It, it's, it's a lot higher. You know what I, else I find really interesting about gaming too? And this took me... It, took a little bit of research to sell me internally when I was selling gaming. And I'll admit that I've gotten into this as well. I like watching people play video games online. Like I will, I've got these YouTube channels that I subscribe yeah. to and it's usually retro gamers and they're thrown back and they're like, okay, we're going to do a golden eye walkthrough for N64 or, you know, they're doing walkthroughs of like, I've got this thing for the first PlayStation. I think it was the best. It just had some of the best games out there. And I literally will be reliving my childhood watching these guys narrate and go through all of those games that I used to have, like we're talking like Twisted Metal, Crash Bandicoot, yeah. all of that. I can't believe how that's taken off as well. Like if you could go back in time and tell people, like even 15 years ago, 20 years ago, YouTube got off the ground in 2004. If you could go back to the creators and say, you know what? This platform is going to be the biggest video platform in the world. And the majority of people are going to be using it to watch other people play video games. You'd probably get laughed out of the room. You'd be people, like, that's people. crazy. People would have looked at you like you're crazy, right? Uh, and you're absolutely right, because we see that. That's part of our gaming offering. We represent uh, and we work with a company that represents a lot of these gaming influencers. And we work with a lot of them on, on some of the campaigns that we have in the Canadian market. And the numbers are just astonishing in terms of the amount of followers on social media they have for their channels, uh, the amount of followers that they have. And, I'll, and the other thing that I will say is a lot of the guidance that we see in terms of gaming and gaming trends that we're seeing right now, especially against younger audiences, a lot of that we actually derive from our own experiences at home. And what I mean by that is I got a nine-year-old, going to be 10 years old next, uh, next uh, month, and I see... Uh, how her and her friends, especially during COVID, you know, kids couldn't have play dates. Uh, they were having play dates, virtual play dates on Roblox in their avatars. Um, and this is part of the evolution where we sign an exclusive representation deal with a company out of um, out of Los Angeles, and we are commanding right now forty percent of all the advertising inventory uh, on Roblox in Canada. And I gotta tell you, is we're having a hard time keeping up with the demand. It, that demand for that metaverse. Uh, audience is just tremendous. So these are the things that we're paying very, very close attention, reading the data and really following where that data is pointing us in terms from a gaming standpoint, in terms of where things are going into the future.
You know what's crazy about gaming? This is an observ- This is an anecdotal observation. I could be completely wrong. There could be research that tells me otherwise. But maybe you can relate to this. Growing up, it felt like games were kind of like one and done. It was like mm-hmm. you beat the game and then you were done with it on to the next one. And then in school, you were like, I've got more Nintendo or Sega games than you and so forth. And now it seems like people gravitate to one or two games and they stick with it. Like you bring Roblox up, for example. Like I'm not a Roblox player, but I do know that it could be infinite for your daughter. She could just keep yeah. going and going through it. It's not like there's an end where she beats a right. final boss and that's that. Yeah. Like that is something that I find really crazy about gaming right now is that they found a really good way of drawing you in. I know we throw the term metaverse around quite a bit, yeah. but I think that's something that's really helped gaming quite a bit. It's not just, it's not like this electronic babysitter anymore. Like sure it is to a certain degree, but it's like you said, it is a place where people can converge. Absolutely. And we've had a number of conversations with gaming publishers and developers uh, early on as they're starting to develop games and really working with them in terms of, okay, you know, how do we, how do we help you create a a game that will be advertiser friendly? Where can we put uh, advertising right within the games? And we've been at those early stages with, uh, with developers. And one of the interesting things that has happened is, and big gaming companies, you see this a lot, is creating those gaming franchises that create that brand of affinity with that game. But not only that, but that really draw you in as an individual that you either have a character or an avatar. You create your own persona within these games and you're able to relate with other individuals within that gaming community. Um, Call of Duty was a perfect example that I will use. Uh, I will use. And this is I'm going back 13, 14 years ago with my PlayStation 3 where you throw on the headphones and it was like two, three in the morning and I was playing Call of Duty. But part of that was being having the headphones on and talking to people on the other side of the world and you were in different squadrons or whatever it was. Uh, but now you're seeing that. So you're absolutely right on that, where it creates the franchises, brings people in. Metaverse gets thrown around quite a bit. Um, and I think that we're just at the early stages of where that's going to go. I think that if you look at what some of the big companies have done, Meta, it's a perfect example where they've rebranded the whole company and they're putting a lot of resources behind this. I think that early on, as bandwidth penetration continues to grow, as compression continues to become better and better, as we're able to get faster speeds on our mobile devices, that the next two or three generations that we're going to be seeing is more of a virtual world type of immersive experience, where what you're able to experience will mimic very closely to the real world and i know that it sounds crazy but for anyone that has ever watched that movie ready player one will we ever get there i'm not necessarily sure that it's going to be exactly like that but let me tell you we're not too far off if you dig deep enough in terms of the types of things transactions and with the, with the growth of uh, whether it's bitcoin or any of the other coins that are out there the amount of microtransactions that can actually happen within games it's crazy the the amount of money that's getting moved around on a daily basis. One thing I wanted to bring up was health and gaming because there was one study that had come out years ago. I was still in university and it was, I don't know if it was a nutritionist, a professor, someone at a university in California basically used WeFit for an entire month stuck to a strict diet and they'd lost seven pounds. And then something else that had come about too, as we talk about gaming and its impact on our personal lives, Neil Brennan, the comedian was on Joe Rogan's podcast. I think it was like last week or so. And he spoke about having an issue with one of his eyes. 
And apparently it was an issue that can be treated with eye exercises. Didn't know those things existed. And what he's actually doing is he plays on his Oculus every day and he's not playing a game, but he's doing simple things like picking up virtual fruit and putting it down on like a table, like mimicking kind of the actions of our day to day. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it has something to do with one of his eyes. Can't really see properly in 3d. It has to be in 2d and that's actually helping to fix that. That is there that, you know, some of the games, you look at some of the mobile games that are out there that actually, you know, really help with your, you know, keeping your brain sharp. Some of the, whether it's Wordle, whether it's a lot of these other games that are out there. Uh, so we think that there's definitely uh, an application. There's limits to everything that you sh that should be doing, but put it the right, in the right context, in the right, you know, the, the, the right way to utilize it. There's a lot of beneficial things to it. Um, you know, I'm sure anybody can come in here and, 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 and argue that. And I'm sure that they have very valid points, but I think that within moderation, those types of things are actually very helpful. I wanted to go back to something you said a couple of minutes ago. I want to go back to the pandemic because I want to understand how the start of the pandemic really impacted you as an entrepreneur, because Apex at the time was only about three years old. And just take me back to the moment when, Ooh. you know, it looks like the world's starting to collapse. Like the NBA has said, we're hitting our, putting our season Ooh. on pause. Formula One says we're not going racing in Australia, even though they're on the ground with all their equipment. Yeah. And then one by one, it seemed like all the sports leagues said enough and the rest of the world had to fall in line. And yeah. it was kind of like it started on a Thursday, but it wasn't really until the Monday when world governments started to say, okay, you know what? We have to hit the pause button on everything right now because yeah. we can't get a handle on this. So you wake up Monday morning, all the sports leagues have stopped. The prime minister is about to speak at the podium. What's going through your mind? What do you what do you say to Chris the first time you speak to him after uh, after you find well, out the world is shutting down? I'm going to tell you how it happened. It was March 13th, Tuesday, March 13th of 2020. And we're hearing all this. It's happening all over the world. Right. Um, you're absolutely right on everything they said. And Tuesday afternoon at about, I don't know, one thirty, two o'clock in the afternoon, I'm sitting and uh, sitting at my desk. And Chris walks into my office and says, dude, we got to shut it down. And I go, what the F are you talking about? Goes, turn on the news. And we had all of our staff. We actually had staff out on client lunches. I think we were the Toronto office at that time. We had, I don't know, 12, 13 people, 14 people. Vancouver office, Toronto office, uh, and Montreal office as well. And Chris says this to me, and I literally went online, and I go, what the F? And I said, okay. I go, shut it down, send everyone home now. And him and I walked out of my office, stood in the middle of the office, and it's like, everyone, pack your laptops, pack whatever you got to take, and we don't know when we're going to be back. Get home. That was our mandate. Get home. And we sent everybody home. At that point in time, nobody knew. Is this going to last a month, two months? It's something that completely unprecedented in history, in terms of modern history, in terms of doing these types of things. Um, the good thing that we did early on, um, and this is part of growing in, in, the, in the industry, when we set up Evolve Media, I had to deal with physically setting up offices. And by that, I mean the cabling, the routers, the, the servers, all the infrastructure, and you know, hiring the right people to do all the cabling across the offices and that. So when we set up our Apex office, one of the things that I said is, let's make sure that we are 100% wireless, no servers, everything on the cloud, no computers, sorry, no desktops. Everyone is on laptops. Staff has to be 100% mobile. 
and this is before the pandemic, should anything happen, everyone can ro work remotely. And ha having made that decision probably about a year earlier paid off dividends for us because we were able to pivot the business working remotely on a dime. But next day, everybody was fully going, everybody was fully operational, and we were good. Here's the craziest part that happened. There was so much confusion and the unknown in the world that from Tuesday, March 13th till April 1, which is about two weeks, we literally saw an 85% drop in business activity. It was like, what the F just happened here? What's going on? What's going on in the world? Part of that is advertisers pulling back. People are not moving. Who do we advertise to? How are the products going to get to them? So there was this mass hysteria that had happened, and we had to wait for things to settle. So at that point in time, we made the strategic decision, and we said, as a company overall, we are going to completely pivot our sales strategy. We're going to stop being sellers, and we're going to become mobile consultants. And we are going to help our clients, and we're going to plant those seeds that are not going to pay off in six months, they're not going to pay off in a year. Chris and I had sort of a bet going how long we were going to go uh, be away. Chris had two months. I said a year. Who would have known that, you know, two years later we went back into the office. Uh, but that's how we mitigated that. Um, but it was tough. It was very, very, very tough uh, lasting through that. The other commitment that we made um, probably about a month, month and a half in, once we saw the financial impact of that revenue dropping off, um, we, were, we were at a crossroads. It's what do we do here? You know, um, do we contract the business? Uh, and by contracting the business, it's like there will be some, you know, uh, people that we would have to let go. Uh, and Chris and I made a strategic decision. We believed in this. Everybody that has been here has made a sacrifice believing in what we believed in. And if there's ever a time to lead, it's a time in a time of uncertainty. We have to lead and we need to take care of our people no matter what. And Chris and I and a couple of other key members of the staff, we you know took significant pay cuts. But I got to tell you, that has probably been one of the greatest personal investments and business investments that we ever made. Um, not only by doing that did it allow us to come out of it stronger, bigger, and better, but making that commitment to our staff and showing people in a time when nobody knew what was going on, where jobs being lost, where people didn't even know, you know, like what's going to happen? Am I going to be able to pay my rent? Am I going to be able to pay my mortgage? People were stuck in, you know, their 500 square foot condo and couldn't even leave. Being there and taking care of our staff, taking care of our clients, not only was personally rewarding, but it was the best way that you could show people that you care for them. And as a society overall, people were yearning for that. We were all yearning for that. And to this day, I, you know, I'm, I, I believe that it was those decisions that we made then that have allowed us to grow at the, at the rate that we continue to grow at now uh, and also have that commitment from our team because we were willing to put ourselves on the line and put the business on the line to make sure that they were okay. And ultimately, we made a decision that no matter what happens, this thing is going to survive all as a collective or this thing is going to come crashing down all as a collective. So we just bet on our people and bet on ourselves. How did you grow, though, as a leader? Because what's very unique about this pandemic and what we all had to face is that 
it's a once in a lifetime, maybe a once in a generation, hopefully a couple of generation thing. Like, I mean, it's bound to happen again, hopefully not for another hundred years at least. But this is one of those things where depending on whether or not where you won the birth lottery, you could have missed it as as a professional leader. So what did this do for you going through as you look back on the last two years? Like, where do you see yourself as a stronger leader because of working through the pandemic? The uncertainty I out of this, I've come up believing that chaos is necessary. Out of chaos comes order. In, turn, in times of uncertainty, leadership is what gets us through it. This has been proven time and time again in times of war and tough times. Um, and being able to ensure that those individuals, those people that believe in you, that believe in, in what you're building and ensuring that, that everything will be okay and that they see that you're doing everything humanly possible for them. It allows us to just take things to another level. And that was a, that was a, that was a humbling lesson that, uh, that I personally learned. Um, the other thing that I learned from a leadership standpoint is meditation. Man, it's, we went through some crazy, crazy times, sleepless nights, um, and just being able to bring everything to calm. There's a lot of noise that's going on and you're getting pulled in a hundred different directions. And look, at the end of the day, everything that we went through, as amazing as advertising is, and as, as much as I truly believe that advertising is necessary in society, you put things into perspective. There's a lot of more important things and we're not saving lives. So let's enjoy it. Let's have fun. And let's remember that we continue growing as individuals. So let's enjoy the ride together. And that, that, that was part of the uh, hard lesson that we had to learn. I mean, without getting too, too personal, then would you look back on the last two years and go, okay, prior to the pandemic, things that might've, you know, unnerved me professionally because I've survived this pandemic and the business has come out stronger than ever. Not much phases me anymore. You know what? I don't want to jinx myself and say not much phases <laughs> me anymore. <laughs> uh, but, but those things prior pandemic don't phase you uh, anymore. You're, you're like, you're, I can deal with those easily. You're hundred percent. I think that the personal lesson for me is this, is it's not until you go through those storms and you come out on the other side that you realize I can do it. Um, not, not that you want to go through those storms again, but the one thing that we always kept top of mind is this storm will not last forever. We will figure it out. Humanity will figure it out. And let's continue believing. Let's stay positive. And believe me, like all of us and probably everyone who's listening to this, we had enough of the Zoom calls, enough of this. And, you know, it, it was crazy to build a team and run a company um, remotely for basically two years. Um, but ultimately, it was one day at a time, one breath at a time. We will figure this out. If we all put our heads together, we will figure this out. And that was such an important lesson where as an entrepreneur, as a leader, you sometimes take it so upon yourself to figure things out. And this is a reminder that I say this all the time. I'm probably the dumbest person in the company, but I am so blessed that every single person around me is so much smarter than me. And for some reason, they trust me. And that allowed us to get through it because we worked as a collective. One aspect of the business we haven't touched on yet is Alpha Connect. Tell us about it. Alpha Connect, this also came out of, you know, early in the pandemic, we started looking at the trends. And as everyone knows, connected TV, OTT, whatever you want to call it, there's all these terms we've thrown around. Um, 
was becoming, uh, you know, uh, was becoming very prominent in some of the conversations that, were, that we were having with clients. And what, some of the things that we started seeing is the correlation between mobile devices and exposure of mobile devices being in the household at the same time that connected TV ads were being shown uh, on the smart TV in the household. So we worked with a technology partner of ours and we were able to, we were able to come up with a solution in the Canadian market where we are able to offer connected TV IP targeting. And then we are able to retarget the mobile devices that were connected to that IP address within that household that were exposed to that ad. So it allows us to now connect mobile and connected TV and create one holistic solution for our clients specifically based not on postal code because within a postal code you might have a family of five you might have a family who's 80 plus years old but specifically creating those data sets against the ip address of each individual household um, so once again now we have gaming we have our geolocation and we have this connected tv uh, offering so once again internally we decided to create a subdivision or a brand within Apex Mobile, Mobile that specifically focuses on connected TV. And this is where we launched Alpha Connect. And I gotta tell you, from a percentage growth rate within the organization, Alpha Connect is growing at a faster growth rate than any of our other divisions right now. What else is on the horizon for Apex? Because you've gotta have something percolating. One of the challenges that we had as an organization is we needed to grow our own intellectual property. And how did we go about that? Did we start basically coming up with our own ideas and hiring and building up a whole engineering team and building that up? We looked at those options and although some of them financially made sense, um, we thought that we would go out to market and start having strategic conversations with small to medium sized tech companies that were building very unique uh, solutions. And we wanted to stick to Canadian companies. We truly believe this. In Canada, we have some of the best, smartest engineers from all over the world, different backgrounds, and a, a, a cultural fit within our organization was a key part of it. So we went out and we acquired a third-party rich media mobile ad server that we are in the process right now of finalizing, and we will be launching out into the Canadian and U.S. market uh, probably in early Q3. We're going through the final phases. Um, I can tell you the name of the product is the Altitude platform. So it will be a standalone AI, machine learning, self-serve, but as well as it will allow us to basically run all of our campaigns through it uh, for all of our Canadian clients and be able to give analytics on campaigns and campaign performance that we have never had before. You also have entrepreneurial ventures outside of media and ad tech. F45 training. Tell us what that is. <laughs> so this is another one, you know, uh, with Chris. Uh, Chris and I go way, way back. I think we've been working together now for 16 years. Um, I hired Chris like early on in his career. The poor guy has put up with me for so many years and uh, my craziness at times. About three and a half years ago, four years ago, we had Apex going. Things were going great. This is just... I, probably six months before the pandemic hit and him and his wife had gotten into this fitness thing, fitness kick. And they were going to F45 and it's such a great business and you got to try it out and F45 this and F45 that. 
And Chris went and did all the due diligence on how do we invest and become owners of an F45. And it was one of those things, call it impulse, call it gut feeling, call it craziness, uh, to be frank with you. And we made the strategic decision and we basically bought an F45 franchise, not knowing a damn thing about the fitness industry. We ventured in full in. We were at this gym laying down mats and painting and fixing stuff and putting toilet paper rolls in um, late at night and on weekends. Um, So we ventured into that. Uh, But I will say this, uh, not this past Friday, the previous Friday, we actually sold the franchise. So we are out of that business. And part of that is we're basically running um, three companies right now within the Apex umbrella. It's taken a lot, a lot of our time. Uh, we had a lot of fun with the F45. It was definitely challenging. What an amazing learning experience. Um, but we exited that business two Fridays ago. So we made a strategic sale. That business is sold. And our focus now is going back to 100% Apex. And furthermore, um, you know, my business partner, Chris, he's expecting his second child. So family uh, time demands uh, that he has. Um we just made the strategic decision. We have to get out of this. Let's continue to focus on, on what we're doing. And with the launch of the Altitude platform, Altitude is probably what we believe is going to be a tech platform standalone. It's not, although it works in media, it's not a media sale. It's more a technology solution that we will be taking out to market. And the emphasis here is to really look at exporting that Canadian-based uh, technology, Canadian built technology out to other international markets. Uh, so that will demand a lot of our time and effort. And in the interim, we continue to grow on the apex side of the business. We are up to 27 people. Uh, we're looking at adding on probably five or six other people as, as we record this. Um, so the growth trajectory that demands that, that, that has on our own personal time and in our, and on our families are significant. So less is more at this point in time for us in terms of things that we can be involved in. I had not heard of F45 until you started posting about it on Facebook. (laughs) And then after you did that, I swear to God, Walter, it seemed like I was noticing them everywhere. Hey, Victor, you know what? You just dated us here, man. You just made us look <laughs> old. Like you just said, we, I posted on Facebook. Come on. It's, uh, you know, the cool kids. Instagram. Do okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was a you story just, on Instagram with all the graphics and everything. But you know. know what? That was, that was part of the appeal for us when we got involved with it. That was part of the appeal. We saw that the concept resonated so well in, mind you, this was pre-pandemic. It resonated so well with individuals such as us, such as ourselves. You go in for 45 minutes. You're burning 400, 500 calories, high impact. It's great. You feel good after it. And then you're out as opposed to going to the gym, an hour, this and that. So it was efficient. And this is where we saw that that that, that sales proposition. This is how we got hooked on it. And once again, it went great. It, it was great. Uh, we got to build up an amazing uh, staff. Um, and we learned so much. And at the end of the day, that's what's important. you got to keep learning. You know, not mistakes, but you learn from everything that you get involved in. And who knows? Maybe one day, 10 years down the road, there'll be another opportunity to, to open a gym. And now we know. We ran one before. So now we know what we're getting ourselves into. Walter, when we did our first podcast together, I was not doing rapid fire questions. That's something I introduced maybe about two years ago. So we get a chance to revisit this. Are you ready for rapid fire questions? Let's do it. 
Okay, the campaign you are most proud of. Our very, very first Apex mobile media campaign back in October of 2017. And I got to tell you, um, as I was talking to you, um, I actually went back and looked at it. And I can tell you, our very, very first deal, how this company got started, was on a $7,500 deal from uh, Bank of Montreal. And that's when we're like, we're on to something here. If a bank is spending money with us, we're on to something. Your favorite movie? Iron Giant. Such a great, such a great story about compassion, capacity for human beings to be destructive, but at the same time, being able to learn. And you know, as the kid says to the to, to the to the robot, "You are who you choose to be." And when it came time, the robot decided to save humanity. And it's just such a great lesson, and it's one of my favorite movies ever. Your favorite video game? I am big into mobile games. And the one game that I love to play, and I play this with my daughter when we go out for dinners or whatever, and we're waiting for our food, we actually have competition, Subway Surfer. If Hollywood were to make a movie based on your life story, who would you want to play you? Benicio Del Toro. And my follow-up question to that, if Hollywood were to make that movie based on your life story, what would you call it? I can, I will, I must. Your favorite book? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Such an amazing story of thriving through adversity and, you know, what a great example of a human being and just everything that he went through. It's just inspiring. Your favorite song? Ooh Child by the Five Stair Step. Just uh, feel good. We all have, you know, some days we're not all smiles, but it's just such a feel good, you know, song about everything's going to be okay the best advice you have ever received i'll never forget this this was said to me a few years ago and i actually have this written down in my office here at home pain makes you stronger tears make you braver and heartbreak makes you wiser so thank the past for a better future i know i already asked you my signature closing question if you weren't media what would you be doing and why back when we did our original recording but I want to see if it's changed. So I'm going to ask you again, if you weren't in media, what would you be doing and why? Back in 2015, when you asked me this question, I said that I would probably be working somewhere in financial, whether as a broker or as a trader, because that's a, that's a passion of mine um, that I do on the side. But that has changed. And part of that is through everything that we've been through over the last, specifically the last two years, but prior to that, seeing the growth of the organization, um, I will have to say, I don't really know exactly what I would be doing, but anything that allows individuals to grow as themselves, that allows people to earn a living and anything that I can do that I can be in a position to create the environment for anybody to just thrive and find themselves and grow as a person, as a human being and do good in this world. Walter, it was great having you back and it was great to catch up. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Victor. It was great to be back. And let's not wait, what, seven, eight years to catch up again. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's it for today's show. For more episodes, you can go to mediapeople.ca or subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Vic Genova. <laughs>